We're glad you're with us. To reach us click the contact button on the Firefall Talk Radio homepage at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do there are ways to do that starting with the PayPal link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also use the Venmo app, which is easier to use and has fewer fees, where we can be found under at Firefall Media Group. One word. Uppercase on FMG. Thank you to each and every one of you who support what we do. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Give as the Lord leads. And now, to the Bible study with Richard Grund. Hebrews 13.15 says this, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Therefore, by the Lord, by the relationship with the Lord that we have, let us give praise. Let us thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. So I praise the Lord. I praise the Lord that I'm here with you, that I'm able to do this for him with you. I praise him for my home, my wife, my family, sons, daughter-in-laws, our grandson, our furry kids. I thank him and praise him for all that I have, this home, all of this technology that I have to do this with you. I thank him for my salvation, that without that, all the other things I just mentioned would not be available to me. I praise the Lord. I praise him because he is wonderful. I praise him because he is good. Favor, revelation, divine um, interaction, everything that he has given us, I praise him for it. I praise him for living in a country that with all of our problems, we can sit here and do this unlike our Chinese brothers and sisters which are being rounded up, put into concentration camps, let's call them what they are, and being attacked and brainwashed until they recant their faith. And if they don't, they're never seen or heard from again. So I praise him for living in America. I praise him for being a new creation, that I can watch the signs of the times, that I can follow along with what he's doing. We have the book. We have the script. I praise him for getting ready to come back. I wish I knew when. Really, sincerely wish I knew when. But you know what? I'm going to stay ready. I'm going to stay prepared, and I'm going to stay prayed up. But we always start out by praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. So I pray for Jerusalem. I pray for it to be saved. I pray for them to come to know Hamashiach, Messiah, the Messiah, Yeshua. I pray for their leadership. I pray protection against their enemies. And I pray that they would do what's right before God, no matter the cost. I pray for America. May God forgive us for all that we've done against his name and against his rules. And may he shed his grace on us. We, we really need that right now. We need his grace and favor. I pray for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the poor in spirit, the bound, the oppressed, the innocents, and those that are victims of injustice. That should bother you too. You should be praying against injustice in America, all over the world, but you should be praying against it. You should be standing against it. You should be interceding for them. 
I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. I just mentioned those in China, but I could mention India or the Middle East or all these other places all over the world, North Korea, Southeast Asia, all these various places where they're being persecuted. I pray against religious persecution and anti-Semitism and all the things that are happening out there in the world, which tells me that the Antichrist is waiting in the wings. I'm praying against his arrival. I don't believe it's time, but I'm not the timekeeper. The Lord is. I'm praying that he would give us time, that he would hold things back, that we could get prepared and do what needs to be done. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and healing as each one of us get back to our divine design, that we become what he needs us to be, not just what we want to be, but what he needs us to be. I pray that we would be healed, heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Whatever you're dealing with right now, if it's physical, lay your hand on it. If it's emotional, mental, or spiritual, think about it. Father, heal your children right now. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, reach down from heaven by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Heal them inside out and glorify yourself through that, Lord. And I pray that in Jesus' name. I pray for protection. That Psalm 91 covering over each and every one of us that we could walk safely in a fallen world. That no matter what happens, we are safe and secure. Can't go out and do the things he needs us to do if we're going to be worried about that. And I'm not. I'm not worried at all. I pray that we would be blessed, that his finances would come, that the wealth of the wicked be stored up for the righteous and be put into our possession so that we can further the kingdom of God. We can set the captives free. We can get people saved, healed, and delivered. I pray that the things, the dreams, the visions, the missions that he's given, not just SRT and Firefall on the porch, but each and every ministry out there that is truly called by his name to do what needs to be done, pray with us for the provision. Pray that we can get this documentary done and get it out there and expose the enemy. Pray that we can become highly mobile and hit the road and to do the things that he has called us to do. And I pray that for each and every one of you as well. We must always pray for our lost family members. What's the point of spending eternity with him if your loved ones aren't with you? And continue to pray as this working with the video and getting them up. We had a struggle this week, but the Holy Spirit helped me through it. Each one gets better, and I'm hoping you're enjoying them. If you have not accessed them and you are a regular listener and supporter of The Porch, Go to Firefall Talk Radio, use that contact button, and let us know, and we'll give you the information on where and how to get in. The only other praise report and prayer request I have is from Kim in Fort Mitchell. She says, hey, Richard, I hope all is well. At least you didn't make me say y'all, Kim. You didn't make me say y'all, so that's good. Says, I'm doing good overall. I feel grateful for my salvation and for my sobriety. I praise my Father in heaven for that and everything he provides and teaches me every day. My friend Bobby has been on a ventilator fighting COVID for a month now, and her condition has not changed. Let's stop and pray right now, because whenever somebody's on a ventilator that long, from what I've read, 
It drives the virus further into their lungs and then into their bloodstream. So, Father, we pray that you'd reach down right now and touch Bobby, that you'd heal her, that you'd get her off this ventilator, that you'd restore her lungs, restore her life, that you'd do something so miraculous the doctors could not take credit for it. We pray mercy, grace and mercy upon Bobby, her family members, and everyone who loves her in Jesus' name. She said they're going to do a tracheotomy on her, so please continue to pray for her. God is working on her, praying for protection over my children, my husband, my mother, as well as the porch families. Father, bless us and favor us. Teach us and guide us in Jesus' name. So, Lord, you know all these things even before we mention them. You know each and every need and desire of the heart, but you've instructed us to speak them out, so we have. So we boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy. Sing, I'm a Father, Papa, God, Daddy, we love you. We thank you for loving us even when we were unlovable. We thank you for sending Yeshua to pay the price for us, a price that we could never pay. Now, Father, Passover is over. Resurrection Sunday has passed. We're entering the days of the counting of the Omer as we head towards Pentecost. Let this be a time of blessing. Let this be a time of renewed power inside of us that your Ruach HaKadosh would be fired up, Lord, best way I can describe it. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for the pain and the shame that you endured. We thank you for sending back the Holy Spirit and allowing us to be connected directly to you and being able to sit with you in the heavenly places. So, Holy Spirit, have your way. Open our hearts, open our minds. Help us to receive clear every thought. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Messiah. We cast down every vain imagination that would exalt itself above the knowledge of El Elyon, God Most High, our Father. So, Lord, speak to us tonight. Let the sound of the shofar wake us up. Bring the call to action and the call to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So far, so good. No mistakes made. Hopefully, I didn't speak too soon. So we've been starting out every week with the Lord's Prayer. And every week when I go to do my new set of notes, I don't feel led to take it out. So in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's what we've been talking about, the kingdom. 
And, you know, even though we're going into a, a detailed teaching, we're finishing out on sin um, and being out of position. And then we're going to go into the armor of God. And it's going to be a little more detailed than, than I've done in the past. But I want you to understand I'm doing this to prepare you, to help you, to fine-tune you. Maybe you've been a believer for a while. This is to sharpen the edge of the sword. So as we go through this, I'm going to remind you each week of some of the points I've made. We're talking about the kingdom of God, his kingdom, no other kingdom, not man's kingdom, not the enemy's kingdom, definitely not the enemy's kingdom. When we talk about his, we're talking about tearing it down. And we don't want anything to do with the world's kingdom or the kingdom of this world. We're talking about his rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven because he's building a kingdom in us and with us through his Holy Spirit. His kingdom authority already resides in us through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So, that being said, we represent his kingdom on earth. Let me say that again. That one jumped out at me when I was working on it this week. We, you and I, every believer, every born-again, spirit-filled believer, in this fallen world, in this dark world, we represent the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is one of dominion. But we choose where we sit. It isn't like he reaches down and plops you in the seat next to him. No, we get to choose where we sit. We get to choose whether we have authority or we're powerless. Dominion or domination. According to the American Heritage Dictionary, Dominion is the control or the exercise of control or sovereignty. And interestingly enough, the example that they use is a quote from Jonathan Edwards. The devil has their souls in his possession and under his dominion. It's also a territory or a sphere of influence or control. It's also a realm. It applies to everything we're talking about. But what is domination? Domination is control or power over another or others. It's the exercise of such control or power. So tonight, as we step further into looking at the concept of sin and the book of Romans, I just want to remind you the focus is on dominion or domination. You either rule and reign with the Lord, or you are ruled over by the enemy. It's all about choice, and you make it. Dominion, delegated positional authority. Domination happens when we're out of position, when we're not in that positional authority. And the end result is destruction. That's what happens when we're out of position. Out of position equals slavery to sin. But I want to talk about God's free will. Because Satan, he seizes your will. He makes you a slave to him. So it's either God in obedience or Satan, rebellion, and slavery. I mentioned last week that the book of Romans 
mentions sin 54 times. Must have been important enough for Paul to talk about it in this book. A book that the world, the flesh, and the devil don't want you to preach or teach out of. It hates it. And I want to answer the question, why? Well, why is because it tells the truth about sin, about God's grace, and how to be free from sin. The enemy doesn't want you to know that. So let's get a little background on the book of Romans, written about 56 AD from Corinth on Paul's third missionary journey. He hadn't been to Rome yet, but he was planning on going there. Now, the origins of the church in Rome are unknown, but it's believed to have been established by people, by believers, returning from Jerusalem following the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. So, literally, the Holy Spirit built the church in Rome. And you're going to see why it's interesting that the enemy attacked Rome and took it the way it did. The church is primarily made up of Gentiles who have very little central organization or local church government. They're in small groups meeting in homes all over the city. Again, a tremendous threat to the kingdom of darkness and the free flow of the Holy Spirit. That's what I believe it takes. Small groups all over a city, home churches, not sitting, looking at the back of somebody's head in the basilicas that man made. But that's why in Romans 1, 7, Paul says this, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus the Messiah. He's not mentioning a church. Believers all called to be saints, the beloved of God. So in actuality, we look at Rome from a Gentile perspective as the example of what the Holy Spirit wanted. And when you see what happens, you'll understand why. The book of Romans has been called the Constitution of Christianity. It's the Christian Manifesto, the cathedral of the Christian faith. It's considered to be the most complete compilation of Christian doctrine. And it's written by Paul 19 years after his salvation as a mature statement on the gospel from his perspective. The New King James Study Bible says countless men and women of faith have singled out Romans as the weapon God graciously used to bring about their surrender to Messiah. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Wesley, and others received unexpected spiritual volleys from Romans that pierced their defenses and ended their rebellion of God. There's a reason why the enemy hates it. New King James Study Bible also says that Romans is a mighty leveler, for it declares that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which is Romans 3.23. Nevertheless, God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we're still sinners, Messiah died for us. Romans 5a. See, that's the good news. Yes, you have iniquity. Yes, you have inbred sin. But you also have salvation. You have a way out. 
And so when Paul wrote Romans, it's believed that he had three objectives, to teach the fundamental doctrine of salvation and the life of faith after salvation, which we see in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. He gave a clue in what he said to the Jew first. See, the book of Romans also explains the unbelief of Israel from the perspective of one who had been trained under Gamaliel, the Pharisee of all Pharisees. And it vindicates God's faithfulness in his dealings with Israel. He also explains very clearly that God did not make the church replace Israel, but that the church has been grafted into Israel's vine. But he also shows that Israel's salvation would come later, but it would come at a price. Third, it's to give practical instruction concerning the life of a believer. The notes say Christian living, because that's what I got out of the the software, but I say the life of a believer. Living in society, that still applies today. And, as we've been seeing, it's a very concise teaching on the concept of sin, the nature of the unsaved person, and the end result of rejecting redemption in his son. So go with me to Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18. This is the Amplified Version. For God does not overlook sin, and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who in their wickedness suppress and stifle the truth. Because that which is known about God is evident within them in their inner consciousness. For God made it evident to them, evident to them. For ever since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through his workmanship, all creation, the wonderful things that he has made, so that they who fail to believe and trust in him are without excuse and without defense. For even though they knew God as the Creator, They did not honor him as God, or give thanks for his wondrous creation. On the contrary, Paul says, they became worthless in their thinking, godless with pointless reasonings and silly speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory and the majesty and excellence of the immortal God for an image worthless idols, which the church still seems to do today, in the shape of mortal men and birds and four-footed animals and reptiles. That right there, Romans 1, 18 through 23, lays out the consequences for unbelief. God's wrath on the unrighteous. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, I know many people want to talk about the love of God. And I I love to talk about the love of God. 
but I cannot overlook the fact that he's a holy God and that he's put some things in place that must be met or his wrath becomes his only choice. Now, what proof do we have that Romans 1, 18 through 23 is truth? What Paul, what, what evidence does Paul have that what he's stating is not just opinion? We have the proof in the great flood. Genesis seven twenty three through 24. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Everything that breathed the air was destroyed. Does not mortal men fit into that category? Outside of Noah and his family, God offered no one else grace. The rest were beyond redemption and outside of his grace. Folks, I'm telling you very clearly, in love, that this is going to happen again. That even with the preaching of the gospel, even with the cross, even with everything we talked about here every week on the porch, people are going to reject him, and they're going to suffer for it. Let's jump down to verse 28 of Romans 1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God or consider him worth knowing as their creator, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are improper and repulsive until they were filled, permeated, saturated with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, and mean-spiritedness. They are gossips spreading rumors, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of new forms of evil, disobedient and disrespectful to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, without pity, although they know God's righteous decree and his judgment that those who do such things deserve death, Yet they do not only do them, but they even enthusiastically approve and tolerate others who practice them. And when we look at that, it says he gave them over to a depraved mind. He gave them over to their inner nature. He gave them over to their inbred iniquity. And we see from the list that I just read what is the end result of that. Now, it's truly amazing historically about this book of Romans and the place where it came from, the church in Rome, if we flash forward to AD 500, AD 1500, we learn that the church leadership in Rome burned Bibles along with their owners. It took Satan over 400 years But he got his revenge on the book of Acts church by using the apostate church in Rome to destroy them. If you don't believe me, look up the Council of Toulouse, 1229 A.D., 
or the Church Council of Tarragona, 1234 A.D., and the Edict of Trent by Pope Pius IV, 1559 A.D. And what you'll see is that in these edicts declaring ownership of the Old Testament or the New Testament was forbidden by anyone except Roman church leadership, not local laity, not any believers. To own your own Bible was heresy, and if caught, both you and the Bible would be burned. Think William Tyndale, 1536 A.D. See, William Tyndale wrote the first Bible, New Testament, he wrote first in English so that everybody could understand it. The William Tyndale New Testament, translated in Worms, Germany, 1526 A.D., and there's only one surviving intact copy of the close to 3,000 they believe were printed. Tyndale wrote that church authorities banned translation into the mother tongue, quote, to keep the world still in darkness to the intent they might sit through vain superstition and false doctrine, to satisfy their filthy lust, their proud ambition, and insatiable covetousness, and to exalt their own honor above God himself. Tinsale's New Testament was the first to be printed in English, and there are only two copies that are mostly complete, and only one that is totally complete from cover to cover. Out of all the Bibles printed, anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000, they're not sure. In 1526, by Peter Schoffer in Worms, Germany. England declared it heretical. So, Bibles that had been smuggled into England in cloths and hidden boxes that were discovered the people that had them were punished and they were burned at the stake as heretics. That's why this is called the Dark Ages. Why? Because Satan wanted to keep people in darkness and he used the church to do it, to keep people from knowing the truth, to keep them from being free and from understanding the schemes of Hasatan. They were literally ignorant of his wiles and schemes mentioned in Ephesians 6.11. And the apostate church helped him do it, which is why I believe the church that he created in Rome is his church. And it has run a parallel path with the church of God. It cut it off after the Council of Nicaea, but went into overdrive in the Dark Ages. And every time a, a move of God hits the church and people get changed and things happen, It rises up again to shut it off. But folks, I believe that the fire of the Holy Spirit is burning hot. And the people that aren't in a church but are the church are rising up. And I don't believe he's going to stop this church. I believe the only way he gets to do his thing is the church gets taken out of here. But in the world, nothing's changed. Nations ban preaching from the Bible and specifically the book of Romans. Quote, to refrain from reading or studying any scripture that could be considered offensive to particular individuals. Oh, they want you to preach love. 
They want you to preach universal acceptance, but don't you dare preach about sin. But if we don't understand sin, then Romans 5.8 has no impact on us. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. See, that's what got me. When I realized that I was in bondage, when I realized all the things that I had done and came to the realization that he loved me anyway, that he pursued me anyway, and that Yeshua died for me anyway, that's what broke through that darkness. So this sin nature, which everyone possesses before they are born again, it influences us to sin and is the source of lust. And it does a number on the human mind. It adversely affects the mind. Anybody who's caught up in any sin that goes to the point that it becomes an obsession, a destructive obsession, you see what it does to their mind. That's what it mentions in Romans one twenty-eight. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. There's only one solution. There's only one antidote to this virus called sin, and that's salvation. That's the blood of the Lamb. And the end result of of a redeemed, transformed mind. And I think most believers that I've helped in deliverance, and there have been Many. Most of the deliverances I've done have been people that thought they were born again and were sitting in somebody's pews. They'd made a mouth confession, but it had never made it to their hearts. But most of them had unredeemed minds. Their programming was still flawed. They were still acting upon their old DNA, not their born-again DNA. So that's what I want to get into now. Romans 6.14, For sin will no longer be a master over you, since you are not under the law as slaves, but under unmerited grace as recipients of God's favor and mercy. You've been justified by grace and mercy by Yeshua. If you can grasp that, And I know some of you still struggle with things. I know you still deal with your past. You deal with the mistakes that you've made. And I've been there. The enemy used to remind me of all the things that I had done. Still does does remind me. But I'm not that person. That person is dead. I'm a born-again new creation and Messiah. Romans 6, 9 tells me that knowing that Messiah, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Let me say that again. He's alive forevermore. Death has no dominion over him, which means Hasatan has no dominion over him. Never did. But now he, he's done. See, we know the self-evident truth about Messiah. That he's been raised from the dead. Now, I wasn't there. Paul wasn't there. 
but he appeared to 500 believers. I've seen him. I've heard his voice. I have felt his love. I know that he is alive. Death, where's your sting? Where's your victory, death? It's gone. But see, we have to understand Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man, our old nature, was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. See, slavery is domination. Domination is a result of sin and Satan having dominion over you. So let's go to Romans seven fifteen through 20. And I know there's a lot of scripture and you're following along. And if you don't get to see the video, you're not seeing the um, scripture being read to you. So just sit back. If you're following along, this is the Amplified. Romans 7, starting verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. I am baffled and bewildered by them. I do not practice what I want to do, but I'm doing the the thing I hate and yielding to my human nature, my worldliness, my sinful capacity. Now, if I habitually do what I do not want to do, that means I agree with the law. confessing that it is good and morally excellent. So now, if that is the case then, it is no longer I who do it, but the disobedient thing which I despise, which is sin, my sin nature which lives in me. Paul goes on to say in verse 18, For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh, my human nature, my worldliness, my sinful capacity. For the willingness to do good is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil thing I do not want. But if I'm doing that very thing I do not want to do, I am no longer the one doing it. That it's not me doing the acts, but the sin nature which lives in me, and we saw in Genesis, when Lord spoke to, when God spoke to Cain, he was personified in Satan and the influence of Satan. So being carnal, being fleshly, sold over to sin, involves a conflict that didn't just mystify Paul, but it mystifies all of us. How many times have you done something you didn't want to do? It's the old sin nature, aspects of the old programming that are still functioning that you've not wiped out or put under the blood. We don't understand it. It can make you feel defeated doing something that you know you didn't want to do and you did it anyway. It's a conflict that indicates there's a battle going on between your old nature and your born-again nature. And the longer you're saved, and the more time you spend in His presence, the more His glory shines upon you, the more powerful the Holy Spirit is within you, 
that old nature becomes submissive and then eventually disappears. I'm not saying it doesn't try to come back to life. You've heard me explain it like a zombie trying to come back to life, and it's always there, your old nature. So, to encapsulate this, in the flesh, there's nothing good. You may have the will and the desire to do good, but you're going to fail. And that's due to your inherent sinful nature. But there is a solution. Become born again. See, if the problem is your flesh, and you know that there's nothing good in that aspect of you, you know that you can't make yourself do right. You may do it for a little while, but ultimately you will fall and you'll fail. So your ability to succeed is based upon changing something. And that is changing your nature, becoming born again. You have a change in spirit. Your spirit man is now changed into... What's the way to put it? It's transformed. It's resurrected. It becomes what it was supposed to be. Now the Holy Spirit in you, the hope of glory, gives you a position of... Next to him, you've changed your position from the world. You've changed your position from being in slavery and domination to a position of dominion from law to grace. See, Paul goes on in verses 16 through 18, and I'm going to repeat this again. Why are you repeating this, Richard? Well, through repetition, you remember you also begin to see things. The great thing for me in now doing these videos, beside working on the notes for tonight, the live Bible study, I have to do the PowerPoint. And then I have to edit the videos. And I have to listen to the Bible study. And I have to look at the slides as I insert them into the video. And so I hear the word over and over. And I'm working on this three, four days. This past week was six days because the problems of the audio. But I'm immersed in the Word, and I have to tell you, it's wonderful. Romans six sixteen. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? You're either going to be a slave to God and righteousness, a slave to Yeshua, or you're going to be a slave to sin and Hasatan. But God be thanked that through that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Dominion is what? Delegated positional authority, which you get from being seated next to him in the heavenly places. Domination is when you are out of position, you aren't where you're supposed to be, and the end result is destruction and slavery. Being out of position with him makes you a slave to the one thing, the spirit, the sin, the bondage that has displaced you from being seated next to him. 
sin is always about slavery and domination. If you meet somebody that's happy in their sin, not only are they not born again, they're very possibly reprobate. Most people I know that when you break through the wall, they're broken. They hate themselves. They hate what they do. They want to be free, but they can't. God is about freedom. The Lord is about freedom. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And Satan is about seizing and stealing your will and enslaving you into his control. Now, is there anywhere in the Bible that we can see evidence of that? Yeah, very clearly. John 13, the Last Supper, Judas. They sit down. And Yeshua just basically says, and I don't know how Judas did not hear this, but I think he was so caught up in the deception and what he was doing, he wasn't listening. Yeshua said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosoms, one of his disciples. And, of course, we know it's John, of whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask who he's speaking about. I'm I'm paraphrasing here. So John kind of leans back, looks up at the Lord, and said, Lord, who is it? And the Lord answers him and said, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I've dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And then Yeshua said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. Some of them thought it was because Judas had the money box and he was supposed to buy, buy stuff for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. I think John's telling us what he thought. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately. And it was night. Yeah, it was dark. Satan had entered Judas. See, Judas was in rebellion. Judas had a plan that didn't coincide with what the Lord was doing. Betrayal against the Lord occurs when Satan enters into the picture. And folks, it's always night. It's always darkness. So the understanding from the book of Romans, the understanding that Paul is is imparting to these Gentile believers and therefore us, is that Messiah enables us to know God in a personal, intimate way. And the Father desires it. Through him we're given freedom from slavery and access to dominion. Dominion. Do you have access to dominion? What kind of life are you leading right now? I think it's great that you come here every week. And whether you listen or now you're watching the videos. But are you leading a life of authority and dominion or Satan? Satan still pulling you around by the ring in your nose? Have you lost control? You lost control of your children. If you have, that's on you. Satan's going to do what Satan's going to do. 
Let's go to Romans 8, starting verse 9, the Amplified. However, you're not living in the flesh. You're not controlled by the sinful nature, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God lives in you, directing and guiding you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Messiah, he does not belong to him and is not a child of God. If Messiah lives in you, though your natural body is dead because of sin, your spirit is alive because of righteousness which he provides. And if the spirit of him who raised Yeshua from the dead lives in you, he who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Yeshua, raised the Lord from the dead, the very thing we celebrated this past weekend. That Spirit, which created a a signature throughout the universe, a quantum ripple effect, is inside of you. It gives you the ability to walk in this fallen world. It gives you the ability to have dominion over the powers of darkness, over sin, and over those things which they do. So you're not living a normal life. You're not living a natural life. You're living a life in the Spirit. And every time you live in the world, every time you let the world overcome your choices, overcome your interests, you step away from living a life of the Spirit And you go back to the natural. I don't want to live a natural life. There are times, I'm going to be honest, I detest this fallen world. But I know he loves this world. And he loves the people in it. And he desires that everyone be saved. But there are times I look on social media, on the news, and I see what's being done to babies in and out of the womb, children being abandoned. I see what's being done to his creation, killing them for sport, abandoning or abusing them. I realize how much I hate this fallen world. But then I focus on the cause of that, the iniquity. I focus on Satan and the fallen. I focus on the demons that are propagating it, feeding it, and fueling it. And I turn my focus on them in prayer and in warfare. And I I try to see these people with these eyes. I don't always succeed. And, And I repent. And I say, Lord, let me see them with your eyes. But we know this. The sin no longer has power over you. Satan no longer has power over you. That Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua, the only begotten Son of God, has paid your debt with his blood, every drop of blood. And you now have eternal life. We know this experientially, and we know it from a positional nature with him. Forgetting this, 
or allowing this world to blind us to this reality or false teachings puts us out of position, endangers us, because now we're back into slavery. So Ephesians 1, 3, 1, 20, and Ephesians 2, 6. I'm going to read them all together as one, because it's going to set us up for next time. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. That was verse 3. Verse 20. Which he worked in Messiah when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This is Ephesians 2, 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua. So let's do it all at once. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah, which he worked in Messiah when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Messiah, Yeshua. That's positional authority. That's dominion. So we choose where we sit, authority or powerless, dominion or domination. So, Father, I come to you now in the name of your Son, Yeshua. I know you know who he is. I just like to say his name. I love him, and I love you. And I know you love us, and you love your children. So I'm asking right now that you bless your children. For those that know you intimately and understand what I'm saying, expand it even more. Let the Spirit grow inside of them. Show them things that they did not know as you've done with me through these teachings. For those that don't know it, I pray that you would draw them close to you. That you begin to explain it to them. That their nature would change and they would understand where they are with you. And they would understand you more as a loving Abba Father a papa, a dad. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray right now you'd reach down and touch each one of us. I know you're inside of us, but I also know that you're connected to the throne room. So what I'm looking for is a little touch of the throne room tonight. I'm looking for an infusion from the throne room of power, of grace, of mercy, of love, of authority, to go set the captives free and to love them into the kingdom, to pull them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the Son of your love. I'm praying that you'd infuse us, recharge us, stir up the flames inside of us so that we can shine in the darkness and would lead the people home. Those that have wandered off, those that have been tricked into following a different path, those that have been lied to about a different feeding or a different food, let them come back to the, the food of your word. Let them come back to the bread of your word. Let them come back to you and draw them close to you. Let them feel the throne room. Let them see your heavenly realms. Let them hear the angels. Let them smell the incense of the throne room. So, Father, I am praying 
that not only do we live in dominion, but we walk in it. And we teach it to others. And we show it to the kingdom of darkness. We break their domination. We break their hold. We stand against the rising tide of evil and sin and perversion and set the captives free. Lord, let us shine your love. Give us the words. Give us the look. Give us the touch. And let us be useful to you in this time. Let us be about our Father's business. And I just pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. So that culminates the teaching on sin. Next week we're going to get into the armor of God. But it will be built upon everything we've talked about these last three weeks from positional authority of being out of position to the two teachings on sin everything we've done. So if you're not caught up, take the time to get caught up. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.